Hi, and welcome to Comchurch Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray that it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk that you're about to hear. Well, good morning. This is, I've got it here. What I'm thinking, I'm not sure you should see all over. This really reminds me of the Muppet Theatre. If you're old enough, so anybody who sits there will be too drunk, the old man. Would you, you like to nominate anyone you think should be sitting in the grumpy old man's seat? If you, I suppose you've got a certain age to know what that is, really. That's great. It's nice to be a Muppet Christian Fellowship this morning. Very nice. So, and, what an honour it is to be asked to speak at the Muppet Christian Fellowship then. That must be, I don't know what that says about me, really. But that's great. It's good to be here in summer and the sun's happening. It's just great. And so we used to pay money to be this hot. And we're getting it for free. And I remember saying to somebody during the winter when it's cold and wet, and said, you know, I'm fed up and cold and wet and stuff like that. Everyone complaining about being cold. I'm looking forward to the summer when everyone's complaining about being hot. Because one thing, British people are good at complaining about everything, aren't we? Yeah, no, glad to complain this off. Right. Now then, let me let me start off by reading the Bible from Luke chapter four. If you've got a Bible, turn to it. If you haven't, don't worry, I brought mine. So we can look at mine. From Luke chapter four. And it's a bit about Jesus. And um, it says this. And I can sometimes say, if you're under 35. You might want to know the Bible's available in printed form these days. And if you want to get one of these, I can help you. So we find the book, chapter 4, and it says, I read from the New King James Version. So, talking about Jesus, he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when we say the book of the prophet Isaiah, it doesn't mean a book like this, it means... It's more like a, wall, a roll of wallpaper, really. It was scrolls. So they handed him the scroll. And the man says that then, when he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he opened the book, he found the place. And he'd be like this, because this bit's near the end. So he'd be, he'd been like that for ages, until he, he found this place and said, and then he read. Because that's interesting to me, because it's almost like Jesus said, I, I'm looking for something. There's something I want to say that's specific to you this morning. So that he can open any place and say something. But there's something that God wants to say to you this morning that is, it might be like this, it might be like this, but it might be near the end, so you have to keep listening all the way through, just in case. But there's something specific that God's going to speak to you about. And here it is, this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bold witness to him, marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Amen. God bless us, go to our hearts. I believe we're living in the beginnings of a new move of God in our nation. 
And I think that, um, I don't say that lightly, you know, and some people say that just to cheer you up, really. And, and in fact, I think I got the point at one point, I thought, if one more person tells us we're on the edge of a breakthrough, I'm going to throw them out a window because I'm fed up almost being there. Do you know what I mean? With your kids, we've been on the with our grandchildren, and when we were in the back and say, Are we nearly there yet? I thought, I thought that was a joke, people said that, but we're only just out our streets. And said, Yeah, yeah, it's just around the corner. So I, I think telling children it isn't real lying, is it? Yeah, we're nearly there, we've got 100 miles to go. Just keep going, keep going. It's almost like they're all saying it's nearly there, and eventually, Lily says to me, Dad, Dad, you've been saying we're nearly there for ages. And I thought about it, and that it's almost like in church we say, We're nearly there. It's still got to happen. But there's an expectation of, of Jesus coming back one day. There's also an expectation of God moving, especially in our nation. And my goodness, don't we need a move of God? I believe this next move of God has souls attached to it. I believe we've had a, a move of, of almost God making church worth joining, making it more fun. But this next time, God, there's souls going to be saved. So get ready for a lot of new people coming and sitting in your seat, drinking your coffee, and making a mess of your building. That's what happens. In the olden days, when uh, Christianity came to Britain at first, it was the Celts. Now, if you're not from uh, the UK, then you might know that in history, they, in parts of, of the UK, it was Celts were up north and, and, and Wales and Northern Ireland, and, so, uh, and the Anglo Saxons were down here. But the Celts, Christianity first came to the Celts, and it was a bit different the way things were done. The way they did it was um, they had like, like but senders where the priests or the, uh, the, the, the leaders all stayed and they studied together and they went out from there and preached the gospel. And that, that's what, but when the Romans came, they changed the situation from that and started having more like monasteries where, they, where everybody studied, but instead of them going out to the people, the people had to come to them. And it's almost like that's the way the church has been broken down ever since. There's been those who are what we call missional going out to the people. And others which are attached to it, says you have to come to us. But the roots of Christianity in Great Britain is missional. It's actually not we hold meetings, you come to us. But it's actually we have meetings to bless us, encourage us, teach us, and then we go out to you. So we have to be missional and going out. That's the roots of Christianity, I think, in the world, right? But the Celts had this sort of saying. And they used to say that they felt that heaven was very close. And they felt like you know, the heaven was just so close. In fact, they used to say... Heaven's about three feet above your head. Which means, didn't mean if you stood there, you could get your hand up into heaven. But the argument is just like, you know, my, I could reach two foot eleven, but it's, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a, an inch or so above. And then they said, we believe in some places, the gap's a little bit thinner. And you can actually almost reach your hands into heaven, take the glory, and bring it down to earth. And they call that a thin place. And they believe there were thin places. And in the history of our nation, the thin places up and down this country where God seems to keep visiting time and time and time again. I have a prayer that Dunstable becomes a thin place. I want our nation full of thin places where we've learned how to reach into the glory and bring down the presence and bring it down unto us. And it's like uh, the Bill Johnson said, but he said he didn't. I'm sure it was. If it wasn't him, it was me. Said, most Christians have enough faith to believe that they're going to heaven when they die. But God is looking for a people who have enough faith.
to bring heaven to earth who was still alive. And that's the mission of the church. We want to bring the presence of God. We want to bring it down unto earth and to see something great and amazing. And God's looking for a whole army of people who will do that. And that's what I signed up for. And I signed up to see God move in great power. Yes. Amen. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to see a revival in this nation? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great to be a part of it? Because I don't know about you, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I really am. I want to see something great moving amongst us. Now, I've got to move into my next part, I'm not sure how to do it, but let me say it this way. Do you ever hear these preachers and all they do is drop names of celebrities and people know, but he's just sick, doesn't it? And I had lunch with Archbishop of Canterbury recently. <laughs> Couldn't think of anyone bringing that in apart from that, really. And I saw a hand with this John Glass, who was in charge of you until recently, and, uh, and uh, not died yet, he's retired, but, but um, he said to me, David, there's this big meeting in London at the Archbishop of Canterbury's palace, Lambeth Palace. Lambeth Palace? in a palace, we like to go to a palace in London and uh, if you have lunch because all the denominational leaders are going the head of, obviously Archbishop Welby he's the head of the Church of England, the head of the Methodists are going to be the head of the Catholics, the head of the Baptists, head of, all those people are going to be there he said, I can't go, would you go and represent Elam at this lunch? Two of my favourite words, lunch and palace <laughs> I said, yes I could do that I live in London, I live near London I take the train down and but then said to him, you can park inside Lambeth Palace. I thought, imagine, it's like your birthday. You get to go to the palace, have lunch, and a free parking space in the centre of London. I thought, can I leave it there for a couple of days? I mean, it just felt really good to do that. Yes, I'll go there, that's good. So I went, and <clears throat> I was driving in and talking to all about things, and said, yeah, that's good, and thinking about it. But I said, when I arrived, there was lots of these people, and I met quite a few of the, the leaders of, uh, because, I've met quite a few of the leaders of the denomination, different stuff. And you get to know them, how are you doing? How's, how's your kids? That's great. And stuff. I'm not very good at names, so I've been very good at speaking to people without calling them anything. Are you at that church? The first time you meet them, hi, what's your name? Yes, that's the second time I remember. Sorry, I can't remember. Third time, hi, brother. Hi, sister. Good to see you. God bless you. So, <clears throat> I've been a that. I stopped. And, and that's Bishop Canterbury. They had laid out tables in his house, in his palace. And they all had tables to sit at. But when we arrived, he, he was late. How can you be late for a meeting in your own house? <laughs> They're stuck in traffic somewhere. So we're all standing there chatting away, just waiting for him to arrive. And, and uh, <clears throat> eventually, he, 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 somebody stood up and said, Archbishop Canterbury's a bit late. And instead of welcoming you, he, uh, he'll welcome you. He'll do the welcome at the end, if that makes sense. A little address at the end. So just fellowship and have, uh, have lunch. And uh, we'll, we'll call your daughter later on. Thought, oh, never mind, lunch, good. So I'm just standing there. And we're just about to go for lunch, and, and Justin Welby walks in. He sort of looks around, and, and he comes straight up to me. Now, that's, that's not such a surprise, because to be honest with you, in most crowds, I do stand out. <laughs> I'm sort of bigger than the average. I'm, <clears throat> I'm six foot three, 12 stone in my left leg. And <laughs> I'm just standing there, and I just came up and and said, oh, I don't think we've been. I said, no, I'm Dave Campbell. And I made a little chat, and I actually found out I know lots of people he knows, and he knows lots of people I know. I said, oh, we never met. And in fact, at one point, I was saying to him, 
this nice place you've got here. There's lots of grass. It's right in the centre of London. It's just, I said, it must be worth a few bob. I said, all that grass, you know, and he said, there are five acres of grass. Five acres. And, and I said, you must have one of those that sit on lawnmowers to do that. So yeah, we've got, we got one of those. And somebody, that's his job, but he just does that all day, just cuts the grass. And, and I said to him, you know, I've always wanted to go on one of those. I didn't take the hint. <laughs> I thought I'd try it anyway. He said, oh, that's, 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 that's fine. And I just said, I have lunch. So I went to have lunch, and, and I'm going to sit down. And he says, where are you sitting? I said, I don't know. I'll sit over here. He says, I'll sit beside you. OK. Not, obviously not getting any friends in the room. <laughs> so I sat down there, and he sits next to me, and there's no seats run up. Huh? So it's just me and him for four or five minutes. So we had a great time sort of chatting away. And I'm quite enjoying it, thinking that's good. And then the man comes here and says again, I'm sorry to keep your, your, your waiting. Um, Justin will come and speak to you in a moment, but now first in your groups, we'll assume you've all introduced yourself to one another. Now, would you just share the vision of your denomination for the next five years? And I'm sitting there going, what? Vision? And I'm thinking, I don't remember John Glass saying anything to me about vision for the next five years, but you sort of think, so well maybe he did, maybe, maybe he said to me, you know, when, when, when you go to Justin with Archbishop of Canterbury, Palace, lunch, share five year vision, all I hear is Palace, lunch, and five year vision, so I'm going back, but I'm sure, I'm sure he didn't, I'm sure he didn't, I'm thinking, oh no, what do I say now, and thankfully, and this is where I would tie in, on the journey, I felt God had dropped a little thing in my heart. And I said, well, actually, I hope this is all right. I think the vision of Elam really could be tied down in the next five years is that God has called us to the great commission and the great commandment. And Justin Wellman says, that's really good. I think I'll pinch that. <laughs> so you will, won't you? <laughs> and he went around everybody else shared a little bit. I thought, that's quite good. I actually thought God gave me a revelation. Do you ever think God's taught you something the first time no one else in the world has ever heard it? And for two or three days, actually, I told people God gave me a revelation, great commission, great and a great compassion. And then I did a silly thing. I did what everybody does. I googled it, and I found out thousands of people have thought about it. People have written books about it. People have even added some other bit in there. And I thought for, for, for a few days, God let me feel really good. So Justin Bellman gets up and says, "Well, thank you for coming. I'm sorry I was late for this hell of London traffic." He thought, "Well, we all know what that's like." One of like, he said, but you know, somebody said in my table, it's nice to be somebody, isn't it? Somebody said that actually the, the church is all about the great commission and the great compassion. And I thought to myself, well, that did not take you long at all, did it? When you said you're going to pinch it, you meant it. You meant it. That was five minutes. It was mine for five minutes. So if, if the church of England bring a document out about the great commission and the great compassion, please, you heard it here first. That's all I'm saying. So I'm going to talk to you about the Great Commission and the Great Compassion. Because I believe that is, is in God's heart for this season. But the, the two must go together. They're not sort of option A and option B. They're actually, this is what, they, they must work together. Because the Great Commission is, but Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes.
for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It feels to be a little bit, and I hope we just don't turn into one of those grumpy old men that should be up in that box. But I, I, I get a feeling almost that everyone in our nation is allowed to say what they think and what they believe, except Christians who say this is what the Lord says. It appears to say for me, it's that we're going to have to fight for ground that we thought was ours. We have to fight again, not because we're sort of militant warfare type people, but because what is up for grabs is far too important just to let it slide and go away. We're going to have to be people who say, we're not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not going to say it in a way which won't offend you because there is an offence in the gospel. I remember doing some door to door, knocking doors and telling people, you know, come back to church. This lady said to me, forgive me, I'm not English, I'm from Scotland. This is an accent. It's not an impediment. And opened this door and I said, this lady invited to church. Said, oh, we're not sinners here, we're Church of England. So bless you. Because it's offensive to some people to be told they're a sinner. But it's the truth that sets you free. Unless you're bitter, you're not, you're not going to get saved. And we're going to have people who, who don't compromise the gospel. Because this gospel really, 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 really works. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But sometimes, you might say, I am ashamed of the gospel sometimes. No, you're not. I am sometimes ashamed of myself. And then somebody comes to talk about the gospel, I sort of hang back a little bit. It's not the gospel I'm ashamed of, it's me. I think I'm not really good enough. Do you ever, do you ever feel like you're not good enough? Do you ever feel like, you know, I, I won't be able to say this, I won't be able to do it right. And when I go to church, everyone gives testimonies, they're all better than me. They're all better, I'm not giving a testimony. I'm rubbish. So if you ever, don't put your hand up, please, please put your hands down. But that's just, do you ever feel like that? You, have you ever felt that you're the worst Christian in church. Because if you think about it, somebody is. <laughs> Maybe we could have a competition. If you would like to nominate someone, write the name on a 20 pound note and pass it to me. But see, Jesus didn't save you because you were good. He saved us because he is good. It's his goodness that took him to the cross. He's the good one. I have lots of friends who are not Christians yet, and, and when we planned our church in St. Albans, I guess that um, one of the reasons why I've got so many friends in church was because most of them were my friends before they became Christians. I brought them to church, I got them saved. I used, used to take the kids to school just so I could witness the people at the school gate. Because they can't leave. I mean, it's like. If they're waiting for their children, they can't take offence and go walk away. They're going to have to wait and finish. It's got, to, it's got to stay if you're nice to them. And so every day you're meeting them and just talking about Jesus. It's so good. It's so good. And one of my friends has said to me, it's a problem with you Christians. Whenever somebody starts a statement with the problem with you Christians, is you know it's not going to come out as you're too nice, you're too kind, you're too lovely. You just know it's not going to go down that direction. And I said, what's that? I said, the problem with you Christians, you just... You just think you're right and everybody else is wrong. What do you mean by that? So what you say, you say, it's Jesus or nothing. You say, Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, you're gone. That's it. Jesus is the way. That's it. Wrong. That's it. Everyone else is good to hell. Everyone is bad. You're right. We're wrong. You're better than we are. And so you, 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 just, you just think you know everything. Jesus is the way. That's it. Now, this, 
at least two or three things I'm going to say today that you're going to have to let me finish the sentence before you throw me out. This, this is one of them. Because I said to my friend, do you know, I didn't say Jesus is only in heaven. I didn't say that. In fact, I don't, I don't say that. I don't say Jesus is the way to heaven. Stay with me. I don't say Jesus is the way to heaven. Our church doesn't say Jesus is the only way to heaven. What do I know? Man, I just sat down and I to find this place. How do I know anything? I didn't say Jesus is the only way. Now, however, however, I didn't say that. I'm going to tell you. He said that. He said that. That he is the eternal son of God. He is not just the son of God. He's God's eternal son. He's God the son. He's the one who made all creation. Who blew the stars into the sky at the beginning. Who put the light of the sun. Who called creation into being. Who, turned, who, who separated the water from the land. Who put breath into the first man. Who, who, who saw all of mankind grow up. Who laid down his life. Died naked on a cross for your sin, for my sin. Was buried three days. But in the hell proclaimed the truth. And rose from the dead and says to me. I am he that liveth, that liveth, and was dead. And the whole qualifications for saying is wrong. Because see, this is not my gospel, it's his gospel. We have no right to change it to make it easier for people to believe. Because you might change it, but it won't work. There's only one gospel. If you change it, you change it into another gospel. And it doesn't work. There's only one one. If, if there was another way of going to heaven, don't you think God could have worked it out? I mean, what makes mankind think without puny brains really that actually we find a way to heaven that doesn't need Jesus but the infinite all knowing God he didn't know this and I found a way that he didn't I tell you God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life and I am not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and to the Gentile but not actually, because it works. It really works. And it changes. The other friend of mine, who has, what you call, I've got an alternative on this now, and he said to me, you, you, you just sat to him, I'm lost, I'm lost because of my lifestyle. He's, he's, he's got a husband. And he said, you see, I'm lost because of my lifestyle. I'm going to help because of my lifestyle. And I said to him, you know, it's, I've got a text worse than that. Because you're not lost because of your lifestyle. In fact, forgive me, it's quite possible your lifestyle is because you're lost. Wow. Because Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. You were already lost before you chose that lifestyle. If you want life before that lifestyle chose you, I don't care what you say, you're still lost. Yeah. The gospel is not, you're not going to hell, forgive me, you're not going to hell for rejecting Jesus. We're all going to hell without Jesus. Yeah. Wow. He came to seek and save those who are already lost. You're not lost because you reject him, you stay lost. You don't become lost, you stay lost. That's why we must preach the gospel. That's why we have to tell people. If, if it doesn't matter, if, if they don't hear, 
and they just get to heaven and say, oh, don't bother. But this is Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. That's why we have to come and preach the gospel. But see, there's a problem because people think, they think we don't love them. You ever think, do you ever feel, make you feel as if you're a horrible person because you believe something? I have lots of discussion with people say, well, how can, how can God be against people loving each other? How can, how can this, how can, how can that? But there's a little thing that, it's a misunderstanding of how great the love of God is. Because agape love is all-embracing. It's unconditional. We can accept and love those who do things of which we do not approve. God accepts and loves people who does things which he does not approve. His love is unconditional. All of us, I'm sure, have got friends and family who have lifestyles that we don't really approve of. And, and really, they're not in here. I've got some close to me. I don't approve, but I love them a bit. My love is not diminished. But there are sort of some people, some groups in society, that almost say, unless you accept and approve of my lifestyle, then you hate me. Then you don't like me. The only condition I'm going to let you love me is if you approve of what I'm doing. I say, I'm sorry, my love is bigger than that. Yeah. Our love, our God loves you more than that. Yeah. We can love you despite the fact you're doing things of which we do not approve. Yeah. That's the gospel. Yeah. Isn't it a great gospel? Because someone that says they can only accept those if we approve of their lifestyle, that's, that's, that's the position of the angry liberals. It's not the angry, it's not the church. I don't hear the church saying that. I hear the church saying this, that God in heaven who loves you just as you are. Come to him just as you are. Because you need a saviour. Even Mother Teresa needed a saviour. Even the most godly person you know in your life needed a saviour. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and to the Greeks, to the Gentiles like us. Jesus said that he'd come to seek and save that which was lost. And I didn't ask Pastor what time he finished. Is it two o'clock, three o'clock? I'll know when he start walking out. I'm going to tell you something about this gospel. This gospel is more powerful than you know. This great commission, God's already started. Jesus says, I've, I've come and <clears throat> to do the will of him who sent me. John 5.19, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. He said, only do what I see the Father do. So if I can give you four boxes, here's a box. This is Jesus. said, I only do what I see the Father do. I won't do anything else. So once Jesus goes, we continue the ministry of Jesus. So we only do what we see the Father do. But here's, here's a the bell's chiming for somebody. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? Seriously, for whom the bell talks, it's also that. Anyway. As this, there's this group in the world and in our society. Well, I don't know if you'd say they're the hardest group to reach with the gospel because they're not particularly open to it. In fact, <coughs> There's some nations where, where their religion rules that if you preach the gospel to someone they will put you in jail and they may even kill you because they won't allow you to use the name of Jesus. They walk out streets and, and some they, they wear 
Can, can you only see their eyes? Before I go to his book's father, can, can I just say to you, can I talk about Islam? Uh, I've never met a Muslim I didn't like. Never. A few Christians. No, no, don't go down there. Don't go there, don't go there. Come back, David. But then, you almost think, where else you have to give up in there? You can't reach them. We have people who, the husbands won't let their wives learn English, so no one can talk to them. The little children have to take them to the doctor in England to tell the doctor what's wrong with mummy. And so we have, Jesus said, I want to do what I see the Father do. We want to continue to do what we see Jesus do, do what the Father's do. And there's this group of people we just cannot reach. We don't know how to get a handle on them in our country and in other nations of the world. But there's another box. And this is one, I don't know if you hear these stories. I'm reason with a lot of people talking a lot of stories of this. We've got to some of the countries where the name of Jesus is not allowed to be preached. Because to be a Christian is an offence. And they said they have stories of, like a lady saying to her friend, I had a dream last night. Really? So did I. My dream was really, really, really different. Tell me. In my dream, a man dressed in white came to me and spoke to me. And the friend said, yes, I had a dream of that. He said, in my dream, the man said his name was Jesus. And the friend said, yes, Jesus came to me too. And we have stories which have been authenticated of whole villages being born again because of visions in the night. Question, who's doing that? Is it the devil? I don't think even he's that stupid. Is it man? I don't think so. It could be the father. Jesus said, I only do what I see the father do. We continue to do the witness of Jesus, which is do for the fathers. We thought there's a group of people we cannot reach. And the father says, well, I'm just going to start. And I believe there's a huge harvest coming in the Islamic nations. I believe God loves Muslims. really loves them. And he really, really loves them. In our nation and in nations abroad, we're going to see many, many people come to Christ out of that religion. So it's a lie. Our promise is the culture to get them out of, not the religion. Yeah. Because this gospel is more powerful than anything you've ever seen. Yeah. Can you remember, in the, where we, as some of you, most of you won't remember this, but I remember when communism was the big thing that we're afraid of. And communism was going to take over the world. And I, I had friends, friends, when I was a little boy, in church, they used to take up offerings to smuggle Bibles into Russia and stuff like that, and they do things. And, Russia, communism was a big bad thing, and it stood against the church. It stood, and obviously, they, they said, but we will, we will exterminate Christianity in every corridor of power. And I tell you, whenever the enemy rises up against the church, God, God says, no weapon formed against me will prosper. And I remember as a boy in school, we used to be afraid of nuclear attack up in Scotland because we were near the Polaris base. And we're taught, when, when the alarm went, we all had to hide under the desk, which I mean, a nuclear attack wouldn't be particularly helpful, but you felt like you were doing something. <laughs> and we grew up a lot about of communism, but I remember sitting my, watching my television and watching the Berlin Wall come down. Why? Because no weapon formed against us will prosper. 
and we're very careful to hear what I say next. But Islam, or anything else, stands up against the gospel. Something rises up in me and says, oh, you're next. You've just stood against the church. You've stood against the bride of Christ. No weapon formed against us will prosper. You've just gone too far now. You're persecuting his beloved. And that too will fall. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Isn't it a great gospel? And move on, because the second part of this is the great compassion. And there's a story in the Bible which talks about, um, in Acts chapter 3, you know, Acts chapter 1 is just when Jesus leaves, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes, Acts chapter 3 is when the, the church starts functioning. And you get the story of Peter and John going up in the time of prayer to the house. And uh, there's, a, there's a lame man there. In fact, I always think it's funny because the Bible says he's begging for arms, but he's looking for legs. It's just one of those things. And, and uh, Peter and John say, look at us. And he looks at them and says, sell them gold, am I not? But such as I, ha as I have given unto you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them by the right hand, pulled them up, and as he pulled up, strength came in his ankles, and the man goes walking and leaping, praising God into the house. And I think that's a demonstration to me of the great compassion of Christ. Because I, I love the fact everywhere I go, just for every Elam church, and, and like I say, we've got 140 churches in our region, and uh, you know, this is the best of the, all the Elam churches in my region. I say that everywhere. Because <laughs> I mean, it must be true somewhere, I must get it right somewhere. But every, everywhere I go, they're doing things like out in the community. I see food banks everywhere. I see people doing charity and after school clubs, looking after the... You know, if, if the church stopped doing what it does now to support society, it would grind to a halt immediately. Because the, the, the government can't afford to pay for what we give for nothing. As General Booth, who started the Salvation Army, he said, you can't preach the gospel to a man who has an empty stomach. Wow. You've got to, you've got to feed him first and then preach to him. You've got to do both. Feed them and preach them. Because compassion, compassion is different to, to pity. Pity is just because you feel sorry for people. And one of the things I know is when I go around and go to food banks, I often help a food bank if I turn up and there's a, there's a day. I said, well, I'll help. Then do you want to do it? So I'll help. And often there's people there, and 99% of them are so grateful. Thank you so much. There's always one or two people who are just a little bit grumpy. So five minutes later, I'm standing here ten minutes, I'm not being served yet, I've, I've got an appointment, I've got to go there. And, and there's a bit of me which isn't totally saved yet. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm talking about how we're being saved, but I, I start thinking, what's wrong with you? People in our church are giving us, if you don't like it, just sling your hook. But by the time I get to them, the compassion of Jesus is taken over. Oh, I don't want to a bless you, I love you. Jesus, help me, help me, Jesus. Help me, love these people. It's like they have an entitlement. But there's some people who will never come to a food bank. They'll never be in that line. Not because they couldn't do it with the help. It's because they, they won't take charity. They feel so humbled by life already, they will not be humiliated by standing in line for food. Because they see it as pity. 
pity is that I feel sorry for you. It makes me feel better to do something for you. And you can have people say, come and help because it makes me feel better. Please don't do that. That's pity. We don't minister out of pity. We minister out of compassion. Compassion is a, is a doing word. You can't, you feel sorry for somebody to do nothing, but you can't have compassion and do nothing. In fact, the Bible is like having bowels towards somebody. And if you've ever had anything wrong with your bowels, trust me, you're not sitting around. Well, you might be. No! You wouldn't have to move. If it moves you deep inside. Because pity takes away dignity. But compassion comes from, not calm church, but calm means with. Passion means passion. So it means when you have calm, passion is with the passion it's with the love of Christ when I go to someone with compassion it's with the love of Christ constrains me I've come to you not because I feel sorry for you me, but that's not why I'm here I'm sent here because there's God in heaven who loves you so much he sent his son to die for on a cross for you and he sent me to tell you about that love and to demonstrate that love and how special and precious you are I have come to help and to release his blessing over you that's what compassion is. Jesus sent me because he loves you and he wants to give you dignity. See, the great compassion of in Acts 3, I think it was interesting sometimes too, is, is that um, who God chose, he chose Peter and John, who's the oldest and the youngest of the disciples. It's interesting how when you come to church you end up meeting people who you've never met anywhere else. You probably might not be friends. I mean, at one point, we had a former leader of the Young Conservatives serving communion with a, a Labour councillor. And that would never happen anywhere else, apart from the church. They're all different. Well, like Peter just, um, and John are coming just after Acts chapter 2, when they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit come upon you, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Great Commission has just been fired in their bellies. And they're going to the prayer meeting for to see a man. And Peter's that sort of action man. He's one of those that speaks before he thinks, you know, he's out there. Have you ever said something and thought, did I say that out loud? No, I should have thought that. They call diplomacy the unspoken part of every conversation. And so Peter would be like a strong, gifted man. In fact, Jesus called him Rocky, really. Uh, Petra, Peter, you're going to be a Simon, you're going to be a rock. I, I think Peter probably liked, liked the name Jesus gave him, Rocky. Rocky One. He had it first. I'll be a Rocky One. That's great. He's a brother Andrew who's also Christian. And so I just, I don't know, this is all fact about Peter, but I don't know if you notice, but Jesus healed, he's married. He's a married man. Because Jesus healed his mother in law. I don't want to say anything, but there's no record that, Jesus, that Peter ever thanked Jesus for doing that. <laughs> Just an observation. He's an older man, about mid 40s, 30s. And there's John, who's the youngest. And, and, and he's probably in his late teens. He's just a, just a boy, really. And the Bible says he used to lay on Jesus' chest. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't know about you, but I'm from Clyde's side. I think, oh, stop it. Let's grow up. I would call him Rocky and Sloppy. 
John was just so different. And yet, God chooses those two to work together. Because sometimes God just does things because it amuses him. Yeah, well, John and Peter never get hungry. In fact, I know that, well, I might be reading more into this than is there. But I think that sometimes, I'm not sure how they get on. Do you know, if you're in the Bible, there's a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's John's Gospel. And do you know what it talks about in John's Gospel? It talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Two questions. Does anybody know who wrote John's Gospel? Do you want to phone a friend? Is it that hard? John wrote John's Gospel. So, does anybody know who was the disciple who Jesus loved? It's good, isn't it? John wrote the Gospel, but I'm too, I'm too humble to, to put my own name in. So I'll just call myself the disciple who Jesus loved. Can you imagine that? So Jesus said, I'm... Um, and my mum had five children, and I'm, I'm the one that she loved. I'm just being modest here. <laughs> Can you imagine Peter sort of coming in and talking to John? To John, so I'm just looking at your gospel here, John. Um, you're Matthew, Mark, Luke, they've all written gospels as well. Here's last. I'm going, like, all right, so I see you put in a bit about me swearing on that little girl, about denying Jesus. Do you, do you, Matthew didn't do that in. <laughs> Mark never Look, ask me, said, don't. You, oh, you put that in. All right. Fair enough. Well, it's Peter and... This is when Jesus raised from the dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Peter and the disciple who Jesus loved. That believe you, John. <laughs> Peter being the disciple who Jesus loved, yeah. They ran to the empty tomb. I see you put in there, you got there first, John, eh? <laughs> I'm not sure anybody needed to know that. <laughs> sometimes, God puts people together so they learn something. But here now, chapter 3, this is finishing now, so if you're losing the road, live, get it back again. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, and John, overflowing with the Great Commission, comes to this man, who's actually been there, he's, he's at least 40 years, 40 years, later on, he's more than 40 years old, and he's never walked. And the first thing he says is, look at this, because beggars didn't look at him, you look beg like that, because always to look in the eyes was to be your equal. So he knew he was an underclass, and he just looked at that. Peter says, no, 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 look, look, I, I refuse to treat you as a national insurance number. I refuse to treat you as a benefit receiver. I refuse to treat you as someone whose life is humbled to the point of humiliation. I insist on in looking to you in the eyes. It's not in the Bible, but we've heard that saying that the eyes are the gateway to the soul. I don't know, I think when this man looked up and he looked into the eyes of Peter and John, he saw something they'd never seen in eyes before. He didn't see pity in these men's eyes. He saw the great compassion. He saw that they were moved with love of Christ constraining them. He saw they weren't just putting on a fun day in a, in a building just to give the kids something to do. They saw that there's a reason why these people are doing this. They're doing this because they, they love us. 
because they've been sent by the God in heaven and loved us. This isn't, this isn't pity. This isn't charity. This is compassion. This is bringing the presence of the King to his people. And he looks up and he sees love and acceptance. And then Peter roots up his, his right hand. It's quite interesting to the right hand. I guess, do you know why it's the right, right hand, not the left hand? It's a bit delicate, I'll tell you just in case. I don't know how to say this in a polite way. There's no toilet paper in the Bible. That's probably the best way. The left hand is used for things that you wouldn't want. And so it's, it's almost like the left hand is dirty, it was unclean. So if you went to a shop and you said to have two of those and the man picked up his left hand, you go, no, no thank you. I'm not having that. He's had to give his right hand, his right hand, he might wash them both, but the, the right hand is what's clean. And that was kept for clean things. And sometimes a master or a slave or a servant would come and say, come take that, and he'd pick something up and he'd intentionally lift it in his left hand to give it to him, just to let him know, I'm the boss of you. And take it away. But if the king came in, if the king came in, your majesty, Peter said, I'm going to reach out to you with the same hand I'd reach out to the King of Kings. I'm going to treat you with the same dignity. Because compassion doesn't take away dignity, it brings it back. The gospel of Jesus Christ lets people know who they really were born to be. We give them back their dignity, their identity, their sense of worth, and want them to be there, that love and acceptance. And the Bible says, as the man stood up, as he stood up, strength came in his ankles. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you read that easily, but we've just been on holiday with, with three of our, two of our, I felt with three, two of our grandchildren. And it's very interesting, when you're a grandparent, you get longer to watch your children. You know, when, you're, when your own kids were grown up, you, 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 sort of, uh, you didn't have a chance to really know. You're too busy doing other things. But these kids, but, but later we've got some twins who are just three. And, and nowadays, you know, when they walk, it's on Facebook and everything straight away. I remember one day I was in and the twins, just, every time they stood up, they fell over. And I said, oh, just get on wheelchairs. That's about the fifth time that child's fallen over. They're never going to walk. But what I noticed was they, they, they stood for a little while and we all clapped and they fell over. And then at one point they started walking and we all cheered. And they started running, well, wish they'd never learned to walk because it's just, they're all running away. They just, it took quite a long time. Well, let me tell you something. This man, he's never fallen over. He's never toddled. He's never, ever, ever. He's had 40 years of wasted limbs. 40 years when, when, when muscles have never, ever taken strain. Until this day, but two men full of the Holy Ghost, fired with the great commission, come out overflow with great compassion, reach out and lift him up. And just one touch from the king changes everything. And he goes walking and leaping and praising God. Because when the great commission and the great compassion come together, we will transfer our cities. We'll transform our cities. We'll transfer from one kingdom into another kingdom. We'll see the kingdom of God come Let's stand up and pray. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. 
We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.